here in uh, Isaiah chapter 65, I, I want us to, to look at verse 16 just as we start off and then we'll go back to verse 1 and, and do it. Because really verse 16 is really the, the climax and, and kind of sets the theme for Isaiah 65. Uh, several years ago, I think it's around the second year that, that I, after I came here, I did a series on Sunday nights on the names of God. And, and we spent a lot of time looking at the different Old Testament names of God and what they meant. And, and I had uh, uh, several that shared with me some things that God spoke to them during that, that time as we were looking at some of the different uh, names of God. And, and, uh, and there are even more than we talked about then. And this is one of those passages that deals with a, a name for God that's, that's mentioned here that's not mentioned a lot, but it, it is still true. And, and it is found there in verse 16 uh, where he says, So that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And there's that, that word right there, the, the God of truth. And he goes on and says, and he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. Here's this, this name for God, the God of truth. Our God is the God of truth. Literally, in the, in the Hebrew language, it's the word El. If you are part of that study, you know that's one of the names for God. It's Elohim, and oftentimes that's shorted for El. It is whenever you see G-O-D, capital G-O-D there, that's, that's usually the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, Elohim. And it is the, the powerful name of God. We were just singing about it just a moment ago, El. And that, that is the word that is used here. And then this word truth, which in the Hebrew is Amin. Uh, that may sound familiar to you. Uh, amen is, is, is basically amen. He's the God of the amen. That, that's who he is. And uh, in um, uh, Ukraine, when we go over there, it's, it's different. You know, you go into different cultures and they'll say the same words, but they pronounce it a little bit different. Over there, instead of saying amen or amen, they go amen, amen. You know, uh, when, they, uh, when they're saying amen to something or when they're closing a prayer or something like that, they go amen. And that's closer to the Hebrew here, El Amin, uh, the God of the Amen. That word means Amin. It, it, it means to be firm, to be true, to be completely reliable. And what Isaiah said, and listen, Isaiah, this is the 65th chapter of, the, of his prophecy here, and there's 66 chapters in the, the book of Isaiah. He's been sharing with them some tough stuff. I mean, there's been some encouraging thoughts. There's been words of comfort. Matter of fact, the, the last section is often called the, the book of comfort, although Isaiah 65 and 64 before then, there's not a, a, a whole lot of comfort. There's, there's judgment in the midst of the, the comfort that is, is going on there. But he's had some tough sayings here. And he's just reminding them as he wraps up this message and stuff and reminding them that our God is true. You can, everything that he has said is true. He's not, God is not one that, that tries to, uh, to overblow things and he's not one that, that undersells things. He just speaks truth because he is true. And everything that he says is true. 
This is echoed throughout the, the New Testament as well. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, and the, the letter that, uh, that God sent through John to, um, that Jesus sent through John to the church at Laodicea. Uh, everybody say boo. <laughs> Laodicea is that church that we don't like to hear a lot about, although it reminds us a lot of the church today and the things that are going on. But when he began that message, remember Laodicea is the lukewarm church that he said, because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth, uh, that, that church. But he also gave a ray of, of, of hope there as well is because he said, I'm standing at the door knocking on the door of your church. And if you'll let me in, I will come in. I'll come back in and I'll set things right uh, there. But when he sends that letter and, and all these letters that are written to these different churches, he just, Jesus describes himself in a little bit different way. But he says this, it says, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things says the Amen. <laughs> the amen. And so he's saying the same thing. The one who is faith, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And so, especially in, in hard times, and we live in some hard times. Amen. <laughs> we, we live in some, some hard times today. And so there are things, the things that are so instable and uh, with our government and the world today. And, and we don't know where things are going to be uh, 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 a year from now, much less a week from now. We don't know how things are going to be. We, we hear the news and we hear this could happen and this could happen and that could happen. And there, NASA's putting together this laser where they can shoot asteroids out of the air. And we're going, wait a minute, what's an asteroid's coming? <laughs> and, so, and so we're all these things, you know, that, that are going on and we don't know what's happened. But this is one thing that we count on. We're just singing about him. We can count on Jesus. He's the God of the amen. He is true he is reliable, and everything that he says is true. He tells us the truth about himself. Nobody can describe God like God can describe God. And his word contains the truth about himself. He doesn't embellish who he is. A lot of people that think that he does, that there's no God quite like this. He is everything this Bible says that he is and more. He doesn't embellish. He doesn't deny anything. He is who he is. He also tells us the absolute truth about ourselves. Preachers don't tell us the truth about ourselves. Some of us try to go overboard too much and try to make it worse than it is. Some of us try to, to make you feel better about things that you shouldn't feel better about. <laughs> it's, a, it's just, you know, we, we're, we're human and so we do that. But listen, God's word tells us the truth. God tells us the truth about who we are. He tells us the truth about how great our need is. He tells us the, the, he, uh, tells us the truth of, of how he meets those needs. He speaks the truth. He speaks the truth about our situation. He's not overly critical, or he does, and he doesn't paint a false picture about that. He tells us the truth. And, and some of what we'll be looking at in Isaiah 65, he knows the truth about the future. We, we, we try to know, we want to know what's going on and we try to know and we try to anticipate what is, is going on. But Jesus is the one that tells us the truth. Why? Because he's the God of the amen. He is absolutely true and absolutely reliable. And so I, I want us to look at this, this Isaiah 65 
and look at this description because he, he talks a lot about himself and what he does in Isaiah 65. And see this description of the God of the amen. I know you're dying to say it. Let me hear you say amen. There you go. You can say that a lot during this message, okay? Because <laughs> uh, he is the God of the amen. That is, that is who he is. Now, the God of the amen, first and foremost in Isaiah 65, he is a God of grace. He's a God of grace. Look in, in verse 1. And as we see this, the word grace is not used here, but it is definitely a picture of grace as he says, and this is God speaking through Isaiah. So it's God that's talking about himself. He says, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. Now that seems like a contradiction, but he's speaking the truth. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I've stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. So he's not, he's not candy-coating anything here. He's telling the truth. But as he's telling the truth, he's also letting us see in these first two verses that he is a God of grace. What do we mean by grace? We mean that God, uh, he gives to us not on the basis of, our desert, of what we deserve or what we earn. And listen, everything that we have in Jesus, we didn't earn a bit of it and we don't deserve a bit of it. It is all by grace. And his grace is depicted here. In this passage of scripture, there's, there's two things that are going on here. First of all, in, in, in verse one, he's talking about those outside of the covenant that were brought in. By the way, when you're talking about the nation of Israel, God had the covenant with them, and he's talking about those outside of the covenant. That's every one of us that are here tonight. And he has brought us in. He has brought people in that, that our descendants didn't even know we needed to be brought into anything, didn't even know there was something to be brought into, and yet God came to us. He came, he brought, the good news, the gospel was brought to us. Jesus came to us, and so those outside the covenant, look what he says. He says, I was sought by those who did not ask. He's not talking about Israel. He's talking about going to the Gentile. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I mean, you can look at the, with the, Paul was not a Gentile. He took the gospel to the Gentile, but he wasn't seeking God at all. He was seeking to destroy him. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. It was all by grace. And this outreach to the Gentile, that was God's plan all along. Was that all people be saved. That all nations hear the gospel, that the world be extended to all. Matter of fact, this passage of scripture right here is quoted in Romans chapter 10. And then Romans chapter 10, it's, it's quoted, that's where it talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel. You know, how can they, they uh, hear unless somebody shares with them and all that that's there. And Romans 10, 13 is there as well where it says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that letter's written to Gentiles. And so he's talking about how God has taken the gospel to, to a, a people who, who didn't even know to ask for it. But God brought the good news to us. He's a God of grace. And not only that, but there's this beautiful picture in verse 2 
that he still loves the Jews as well and those inside the covenant were not forsaken. He talks about there, he says, I've stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people. He's opened his arms even to those who are rebels against him. And of course, he's talking about the Jews that turned to idolatry and that turned away from him then. But that's, that's us. Even after we've been saved, we still have a rebellious nature within us. And we still, there are times when we turn away from God. And I want you to understand, God never does this. He always does this. That's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus. He never folds his arms and refuses to receive us. He opens up his arms in grace. That's the God of the amen. <laughs> that's him. He is a God. That, if anybody deserved to be abandoned by God, it was Israel. And yet he never did. He never did. You know, that, that speaks, that, that applies to us today. If, we, if our God is a God of grace, we need to be a people of grace, right? We do. That'd been a good place for an amen. <laughs> we, we, we've got to. And, and, and we've got to reflect that to others. Listen, we live in a world that needs to hear and see the grace of God. Under, understand what, I, what I'm saying here. Sin is still sin, but God still loves sinners. God, God, God loves people who have committed abortion and wants to save them and redeem them and will if they call out upon his name. And we've got to take the message of grace to those who have made terrible decisions in their life and that have been caught up in the sins of this world. Those that are caught up in the homosexual lifestyle. We've got to take the message of God's grace that the love that they're looking for is never going to be found in anybody other than Jesus Christ. And he does love them. And he will redeem them and he will save them. They call out upon his name. Our God, our Jesus, is a God of grace. He loved the rebel then. He had open arms to the rebellious people then, and he still does today. And I'm so glad because I are one of them. What a God. The God of the amen is a God of grace. Amen? amen? Amen. Not only is he a God of grace, but he's also a God of holiness. And those two don't contradict each other. That's just who he is. It's true. It's true. Look in these next few verses here in verse 3 because he, he talks about his, his dealing with the rebellious people there. He says, The people who provoke me to anger continually to my face who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on the altars of brick. He's talking about their idolatry, okay? Who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh. Uh-oh, we're not guilty of that, are we? <laughs> Anybody have any ham over Thanksgiving? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, that, that's not really what we're talking But he's talking about their rebellion against, against him. He says, and the, the, aren't you thankful we live in the New Testament? And the broth of, of, the, of abominable things is in their vessels who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me for I'm holier than thou. 
These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will repay, even repay into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your father together, says the Lord, who have burned incense on the mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. This is some serious stuff. And everything that we have said is true, but it is just as true that God is holy. Understand this. Sin will always be offensive to a holy and perfect God. It always will be. It offended him then and it offends him now. It never stops being offensive to him. And he talks about their rebellious acts, the rebellious acts of, of his people, the people that he had called out, the people that he had blessed, the people that he had provided for, his people, the ones that he had called, are despising his work, not only in their rebellious acts, but in their religious acts. He talks about how, you know, not only are they sacrificing the idols, but they're still going through the motions of, of offering things unto God as well. But they're doing it their way and they're at their convenience. He talks about their claiming to be right, how they say that they're holier than others. We read that uh, in, in verse 5 where he says, Do not come near me, for I'm holier than you. And he talks about how justice will be served because a holy God cannot ignore their rebellion. But understand this, and if you were here last week, you got a good dose of it. This is all very true. Jesus will repay every one of our rebellious acts. Our God will repay every one of our rebellious acts. Not only will he repay, he already has repaid it. On the cross. That's our. Every bit of this is true. Sin is very offensive to God. And every one of our sins was placed on Jesus at the cross. And he took our punishment on the cross. That's the beauty of the loving kindness of God. That's how God can be the God of the amen, the God of absolute truth and deal with us in grace and holiness. It's through the cross. That's, that's what he, listen, it does, if we have this mindset about God that, that because he's a God of grace, that means we can go do whatever we want to do, then we don't understand the holiness of God and we don't understand the sacrifice of Jesus. Because what we deserved, he paid for. He took it upon himself. That's why we love it. That's the God of truth is that, that yes, we deserve the punishment, but he poured it out upon Jesus. He not only has his part of the covenant and, and that, that he is holy and that, that, he, will, will, uh, that he must do what, what is right and he must do what is just. And he did what was right and he did what was just with our sins. He just didn't do it to us. He did it to his son, Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that deserves an amen. <laughs> he is the God of the amen.
See, the cross satisfied the holiness of God. And that ought to humble us. Because this is us. We may not have done these exact things, but we are guilty of our own rebellious acts. Oh, how we're guilty of our own religious acts. Of going through the motions of worship, of going through the motions of service, of doing things to impress others than out of love and adoration for God. We're guilty. We're guilty of thinking that we're better than others. And if you say, that's not me, you just thought that you were better than others. <laughs> we deserved the just and holy wrath of God. And what was a stench in his nostrils through the fragrance of the sacrifice of Jesus was removed and replaced with grace and mercy and love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of holiness. He is the God of the remnant, of the remnant. The Old Testament talks a lot about this remnant. The New Testament talks a little bit about it. But there's always a, a, a remnant. It's true in churches. It's true. It was true among the nation of Israel. See, everybody that was a descendant of Abraham is not going to be in heaven. Only those who put their faith in God. Only those who walked by faith in God. They put their faith in the Savior to come. They put their faith in the provision that God would provide to come. Some did, some didn't. And everybody whose name is on a church roll somewhere is not going to be in heaven either. And while that is true, there's always a remnant, though, of those who were genuine, those that are true. And he's the God of the remnant. And so we look in verse 8 there, where he says, Thus says the Lord, and remember what we just read in verses 3 through 7, and then he goes, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. See, what he's, the picture that he gives here is of this, this, this cluster of grapes. Sometimes we use the idea of a bunch of apples. And that there's, in the grapes and stuff, there are some bad grapes that are there. But if you get a cluster of bad grapes, now I don't know, we may be, in America, we may be spoiled enough uh, that we just throw the whole, all the grapes out. But usually what I do, there are always, every time I buy grapes, there's always some bad ones in there. I throw the bad ones away, but I go for the good ones. I keep the good ones. I eat the good ones and stuff. And that's what he's saying here. God didn't just throw the whole cluster of grapes away. He picked out the good ones. And, and, and there's always those good ones that are there. There's always, you know, we, we talk about uh, that, that one bad apple doesn't spoil the whole bunch. What was the Osmonds that did that song, Donnie Osmond? Y'all, anybody remember that? <laughs> and stuff uh, that, uh, that was, I, I, 
I grew up, I'm a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll. Uh, I watched that as a, as a kid and stuff. That was, those of you who don't know, you, those of you that are younger, you need to go on YouTube and check out the Osmond show, all right? And uh, Donnie Osmond, the Osmond brothers, say he sang that song, One Bad Apple. Uh, and it's, of course, it's talking about a girl that, you know, that, uh, that she should love him because just because other boys have been bad, that I mean he's going to be bad to her and and stuff. But that's that. I don't know that he was preaching biblical truth because <laughs> he was a Mormon and stuff. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but what that this is talking about here is that you don't throw out the whole bunch. You you take out the good, and that's what God does. God works with. Listen, that's that's good news because we can find ourselves in a tough situation. Surrounded by people that aren't genuine, but God knows who we are. God knows where we are. God knows what situation we're, we are, are, are in there. And God works with the remnant. God works with, with the individuals, uh, even the, in the cluster of rebels. He knows each one of us by name. And he takes care of us. And notice he does that. He says, for the sake of of my servant. I will do it for my servant's sake. Now, there's in, in, in looking at this, there's, there's kind of a debate, and I lean this way. When he talks about my servant's sake, my servant's sake, listen, God does love us. And every one of us that has been born again, we, we are his servants, or we ought to be his servants, right? And so God, God cares for us, God loves us, and he does things for us, he provides for us. But I think when he's talking about I do it for my servants, say, God the Father's not talking about us as his servants. He's talking about his servant. And why do I think that? Because Isaiah, all throughout Isaiah, he's been talking about my servant, my servant. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. And so this is the beauty of this, is that God the Father will never give up on you because of his love for the Son. Because his son loves you, because Jesus loves you so much that he died for you, God will never turn his back on you. And he works with us through the son. He is the God of the remnant. He talks about the blessing that is in it. There's a blessing in it. That blessing, I think, is us. That God looks at us and says, I'm not going to throw out the whole bunch of grapes because there's a blessing in that bunch of grapes. And that blessing's name is Matt Beerhouse. And so I'm going to take him. That's, isn't that beautiful? He knows us by name. And yet God is, is looking at us and everything that is going on around us. And he knows us and he says, they're a blessing to me. He doesn't save us because we are a blessing. He saves us for a blessing. That is what he does. God works with and through the remnant. He's the God of the remnant. Amen? The God of the amen is the God of the remnant. So let me try to get through one more. I think this will encourage you. He's also the God of rest. The God of rest rest. In verse 10, he says, Sharon shall be a fold of flocks and the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought 
me. Now this is, this is interesting in what he's talking about here. Because he talks about a fold of flocks and he's not just talking about a great place to raise sheep. Isaiah, David and the Psalms and stuff, they, they use that analogy of us that we are the fold of God, that we are the sheep of, of, of God. When he talks about a, a fold there, that word fold, it means to, to be a home. It's the home of the sheep. It's literally, in the Hebrew, the word could be translated to abide. And Jesus said that we are to abide in him. And so he's talking about that abiding place, that place of rest that is found in him. And when it talks about sharing shall be a fold of the flocks, the word sharing is the idea, is, is the word literally means a plain. And it's the idea of, of, of a plain that is fruitful, a fruitful land of peace and prosperity. And so that's where he wants to take us. But that's not always the case and stuff. Because then he talks about, and the valley of Acor, a place for herds to lie down. Sharon talks about that fruitful, peaceful time of harvest, time of blessing. And, and I've seen that in churches. I've seen that in my own life where you've had those, those times in your life where things are just, you, you don't think that you could get any closer to God. And God is blessing and God is working. Aren't you thankful for those times? Underwood has had its share of those times where, where God was moving, people were being saved and, 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 and growing in their walk with God and we're thankful for that. But it's not always that. And it will never always be that. We can always have rest, but the situation won't always be like that. There are times of trials. And the valley of Achor is a time of trial. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to respond out loud, but think about I wonder if there's anybody here that knows what the valley of Achor is. The valley of Achor was named the valley of Achor because that is where they stoned Achan. You know who Achan is? Achan is the one when they went in the promised land and they took Jericho, took of the stuff they weren't supposed to, they weren't supposed to take anything home and he took stuff home with him and they went to the little old town of Ai. They went to Leeton, Alabama and got whooped after they had conquered Birmingham. All right, and so they got, they got, got whooped there and everything and the reason why is because there was sin in the camp and it was Achan's sin and Achan and his family was stoned. That's the valley of Achor. The valley of Achor is the valley of failure. But what does he say about the valley of Achor there? He says, in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down. Not lie down and quit, but even find rest there. So whether we're walking with God in obedience, or even if we're struggling and we failed, when you come to the God of the amen, you can find rest. You can find rest from your failures. Or you can find rest and the blessings of God. But when you have him, you have rest. That's what Psalm 23 is all about. The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, when I'm beside the still waters. And, and yes, when I'm in those green pastures. But he's also my shepherd when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. He's with me there. And... What does he say at the end of Psalm 23? He doesn't say, as long as I do everything perfectly, goodness and mercy shall follow me. No, he said, 
because I'm a lamb of God, because I belong to him, because of him and what he has done for me, goodness and mercy will follow me through the valleys or by the green pastures or by the city. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because of him. That's the God of the amen. And there may be some just needed to hear that. That maybe the devil is beating you up over the failures of your life. But I want you to know that's not the God of the amen. The God who is absolutely true will be absolutely true to you and will absolutely love you and will never turn his back on you no matter what you've done or what you do. He is the God of rest. Our rest is not found in our obedience. Our rest is not found in our perfect, righteous ways that we behave. Our rest is found in Him. And whether we're in a valley of trials or a valley of even our own failures, God will be faithful. And He will never, ever turn His back on His sheep. That's the God of the amen. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that he will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.